Hey, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Oh, I am so grateful to be here today, as, as Stephen wonderfully introduced me. I am. I'm local to Washington, specifically Puyallup. Grew up uh, and was raised here, and so it's amazing to be back and be able to share with you not just uh, some of the ministry that I'm involved in, but also just to speak light here. It is wonderful to be able to be back home and do so. So yes, I was raised here in Puyallup, and then God really... He really worked on my life, on where he needed me to go, because if you were here yesterday, as you know, I never thought that I would be in ministry. If I'd had my way, I would actually be a storm chaser, running up around Tornado Alley, filming tornadoes, because when I was little, I saw this amazing movie called Wizard of Oz, and I met a girl who got to have an amazing adventure in this magical land, rode a tornado, amazing pair of shoes. I mean, seriously, this was incredible to me as a five-year-old. And that's what I wanted, and that's what I pursued after. And God used my love of meteorology instead to guide me into theology. And I found that, wait a second, loving and knowing God more deeply can be something that I can do as an act of worship. So often we think of worship as the beautiful music that we hear at the beginning of each sermon. But when we love God, not just with our heart and our soul, we can love him with our minds as well. And I fell into this love of what's called apologetics. And apologetics can sometimes seem like an intimidating word. It sounds like you need to have this amazing library and coats with the leather patches on the corners. But really, apologetics is a getting to know your Lord and Savior more deeply. It's exactly what we do when we were first meeting our spouses and going on dates and discovering everything about them. Apologetics is understanding and knowing God, who he is, why he made the commands that he did, and how to answer the challenges that come at us within secular culture, and to do so winsomely and with truth and with grace. And one thing that's been amazing in my life is the coming of my children. So many of you, it's, it's been wonderful to be over here and see the kiddos in the nursery because we have a legacy that we are pouring to with our children. And one thing I realized as a parent, especially, is how important it was for me to pass on my faith to my children. But I don't know about you, I was one of those people that really didn't know how to do that. So I was one that thought, okay, the sum total of Christian parenting is basically having VeggieTales on repeat and having having that VBS soundtrack just jamming in my minivan 24-7. And that works for a little while, but what I found with my kids, and you've probably noticed the same thing, is that if your car ride is longer than 20 minutes, those tiny humans in your back seat start turning into philosophers. And they start asking really big questions about the faith and who God is. And so I'm so grateful that God has brought me into apologetics because now I realize that we as parents, our role is to make our children competent in the faith, not to necessarily convert them. We cannot be the Holy Spirit, but instead we are to act as witnesses, as missionaries to our children. And apologetics is a wonderful way for us to not only share our faith, but help our children competently wrestle with the challenges of this world and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, hopefully come to faith themselves. And that's what led me to Mama Bear Apologetics. Have any of you heard of Mama Bear Apologetics? Okay, a few hands. Awesome. 
I love Mama Bear Apologetics. Our tagline is, is our role in Mama Bear Apologetics is to help our children think critically, love biblically, and stand firm in the faith. And that is our role, is to raise these competent warriors. Because as St. Lucia said, one of the biggest challenges right now within our culture that Satan is attacking is marriage and specifically the family. And this makes sense, because what is the family? The family is called a microbasilica. It's a mini organism, it's a mini society. And that is why secular culture is so desperate to attack the family. Because if we can destroy the family, we can destroy one of the loudest testimonies to the existence of God. And that is why we as parents not only need to stand firm ourselves, but also to raise warriors in the faith. And this is a concept that's been a part of Christianity from the very beginning. So one of the passages that really struck me in this is found in Deuteronomy 4.10. So to set the scene, the Israelites had just been led out of slavery, and they were about to enter the promised land. And what Moses was doing is he was giving commands to the Israelites on how to flourish within the promised land. And one thing he warned them was, we need to make sure that we are teaching and passing on God's word to our children because if we do so, they are less likely to fall into idol worship. Because if we look at the Old Testament, the Israelites were super good at getting themselves into slavery. And it always started with the same process. God would deliver them and they would be on fire for him. But within their comfort grew complacency. And when complacency grew, then compromise started happening. There would be little shifts, little compromises. They they would start incorporating pagan belief systems and actions within their, within their lifestyles. And eventually they would stop passing on the precepts of God and the next generation would fall into idol worship. And this happened very quickly. In fact, when you look at Deuteronomy 4.10, that's what you see. He said, teach my precepts unto my children. But then fast forward to Judges 2.10, and what do we see? Joshua's generation, Joshua, who got to see the parting of the Red Sea and got to see them led into the promised land. That, excuse me, that very next generation fell into idol worship, all because the teachings of God were not passed on to their children. And this word teach is incredible. When we actually look at Deuteronomy 4.10, this word teach is the Hebrew word lemad, training with the implication that it will be put into use. So we're not just supposed to read Bible stories or have veggie tales or listen to the songs. They're absolutely wonderful. But we are also supposed to be tactically engaging and training our kids on how to wield the armor of God effectively. But so often we as parents, we're really good at outsourcing our parental abilities. And that's because today we are so busy. So often most families are dual income households. We're working all day. And with a few clicks of our phone, we can have groceries walked and put right in the back of our car. And we can hop on Amazon. And within two days, we can pretty much have the world delivered to our doorsteps. And we've often relied as parents on the church to do the bulk of our children's discipleship. But that's not the original design. In fact, when we look at the story of Deuteronomy, it wasn't the church leaders that were called at the foot of Mount Horeb. It were parents that were called at the foot of Mount Horeb. That doesn't mean that the church wasn't supposed to be involved, but it meant that parents were meant to be the bulk. See, that's a bit like saying that parents, uh, when we look at the church from that perspective, that's a bit like if we parents were depending upon a Flintstone vitamin to last our kids the entire day and sustain them the entire day. 
But no, that's not the design. The church is meant as a supplement. They're meant to help us because actually the church, if you have your children involved, they got about 40 hours a year with your kid, one hour per week. And if you have them in Awanas, that can bump up to 80. But we as parents, we have over 3,000 hours with our children every year to pour into them. Doesn't that make sense about how God's command that when we wake and when we rise and as we go about doing our daily activities, we're supposed to be teaching our children along the way. We have huge influence over our children and it's absolutely wonderful. And part of that influence involves training them on how to wield the armor of God effectively. So this training, this leman that I spoke about, it's used once in the Old Testament to refer to parenting, but in almost every other context, it's used to refer to how the Israelites were supposed to go into battle. And it was a two-part process. The first aspect was knowledge, general training. So basically these soldiers, the Israelites, they had to know how to navigate themselves well on the battlefield or excuse me, that was the second part. The first part is we actually had to be in complete submission to God. So that's part one. We needed to be in complete reverence to the Lord. We need to be submissive and humble and actually operating on his guidance. Because how many times have you, we parents thought we were going to go and man, God, I got this worked out. I've made the plan. This is a noble desire. I'm going to charge off into doing this thing. Just try and keep up God and make sure you bless it along the way. How many times have we all been there? I know I have. And how many times has that mindset worked out? Usually not too much. That's because submission and guidance, we're relying on God's direction. And that's what we need our children to do. In fact, at the beginning of Ephesians 6, what it says is, children, listen to your fathers. We are there to listen to our guidance. In fact, in Proverbs, we're told, children are told, listen to your fathers. Don't reject your mother's teaching. They are like garland around your head, pearls around your neck. It's this guidance that's blessing and also mirrors our own relationship that we're supposed to have to God. So that's the first part of this Lamad style training, submission to God's teaching. And the second part is tactical navigation. You see, for a soldier on a battlefield, there's a lot of things going on. You have flanking movements that are happening. You have to know what to do in a stressful situation. And not only that, you have to know how to wield your armor effectively to be able to be successful within the battlefield. It's integral to your success. And that's what we, our children need to know. That's why we're given spiritual armor. In fact, if your little one has accepted Christ as their savior, they too have the armor of God. But so often we as parents, I know, especially I'm a boy mom, I got three boys. And so I, at the beginning of my parenting sort of career, so to speak, I was more focused on teaching them how to wield their Nerf guns and BB guns than I was the armor of God. But the armor of God is what's going to help them navigate this world, not a Nerf gun. And so for us, it's important for us to understand exactly what is the armor of God and the purpose of each aspect of the armor of God. So if you were here yesterday, this is going to be a little bit of a review, but I think it's important to refresh ourselves as well. So in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 14, we see the armor of God listed sequentially and how the soldier was supposed to put this on. And this was systematic. In fact, ancient historians and archaeologists, they kind of thought that Paul was making up the order in which the armor of God was listed until they noticed that Homer, in the ancient works of Homer, he listed it in the exact same order. And they said, huh, maybe Paul knew what he was talking about. And of course he did. He was a Roman citizen. He would have been very familiar with how the Roman soldiers trained. And the very first aspect of the armor of God that we are to put on is the belt of truth. 
Now, we ladies, we know that belts are great for defining the waist. I'm expecting, so my waist is shot. But belts typically are great for defining the waist, holding up the pants. But for a Roman soldier, the belt was integral to anchoring every aspect of the armor of God to include his sword. In fact, if you were a Roman soldier and you did not have that belt in place, if you were to charge off into the battlefield, you were an easy target because every other aspect, maybe aside from the helmet, would come tumbling off. And this makes sense. What is truth? Truth is a vital aspect of the nature of God. It's foundational. It's knowable. It's absolute. And it is one thing that's being directly attacked in culture today. So I have homeschooled my kids. They were active in a homeschool co-op. I've taught within Christian private school. And I've also had my kids currently in public school. So I've seen all spheres of education. And what surprised me the most was when I was a substitute teacher in Christian private school. And the students were given the assignment of pairing up. And they had 15 minutes to write down how they would share their faith with an unbeliever. And after 15 minutes, I called the kids together. I said, all right, guys, what do you got? And they all gave me that deer in the headlights look. And I'm like, okay, was it me? Did I not explain the directions correctly? And they go, well, no, Miss Amy, I know this is my truth, but they have their truth, and that's okay, right? These were 18-year-old kids who had spent their lives from pre-K-3, three years old, growing up in a Christian private school, and they were about ready to go off into college, many secular colleges, and they had absolutely no idea that truth existed. And that's intentional by the enemy. Because if he can destroy truth, he can destroy an aspect of the nature of God. He can nullify the gospel. He can make the cross completely irrelevant. And Jesus' death on the cross, just some action a guy did for a political but thoroughly preventable reason, as Nadia Boltzweber describes. Truth is foundational. Because if we cannot exist that truth and falsehood exists, then we cannot We cannot preach the gospel and have the power of Christ behind it because, again, it is just one road, one pathway to heaven, as the great televangelist Oprah Winfrey loved to preach in the 90s. So truth, that belt of truth is foundation. When we are teaching our kids, we are teaching, baby, truth is knowable. It is often reflected within reality. It's called the correspondence theory of truth. It is reflected within reality. And while we will not know all the things, I really wish that was the case, but unfortunately I've read uh, the spiritual giftings given by God and omniscience is not one of them. As a mother, especially of boys, I wish it was. It's not, we can't know everything, but we can know enough to make rational decisions, especially about our belief in God. So we have first the belt of truth, and anchored right into that belt of truth is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, actually, wait, before I launch into that, I forgot this one cool aspect of the belt of truth. So if you hop on your phones and you actually Google Ro- ancient Roman armor, what you'll notice at the uh, attached to the belt of truth of truth are these strips of leather going down the front and they are studded with um, metal plating. Now, this wasn't for fashion purposes. This is basically the ancient Roman version of a cup. And what it did is it protected the male soldiers. Now, this is symbolic of protecting future generations as well. So think about that. When passing on truth, we are not only anchoring the whole armor of God, we're also helping nurture and protect the next generation and pass on that legacy of faith to the next generation. That is why when we read in Judges 2.10 that the next generation completely fell away from God. Why is that? Because they did not pass on truth. They did not pass on the teaching of God to that next generation. 
Then we've got the breastplate of righteousness anchored right into the belt of truth. And righteousness is right actions as well. It applies to morality, but it protects the heart and will of the individual. And then we have the, the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel. Now, these are not your average shoes. These are not the ones you probably chose to wear this morning. These shoes had metal balls. They were sandals studded with bolts of metal. And these were meant to anchor the feet of the Roman soldier so that when the battle came, that they would not be moved in the shifting soils, but because of the gospel message, they would stand firm, be able to meet the attack. Next comes the shield of faith. The shield of faith is wonderful. This is not faith in miracles, but fetus salvifica, faith in salvation of who we are. This directly protects our identity in Christ. And what Paul talks about is the shield of faith actually shields us from the slings and arrows of the enemy. And how clever is the enemy? When he's attacking us, very often he goes after our identity, whose we are in Christ. And especially as parents, he is so good at pointing out every single thing we did wrong in our past. How can you talk to your kids about not being sexually engaged when their boyfriend or girlfriend, when you at 15 or 16, live that exact lifestyle? How can you speak about truth when you denied my name at 13 or 8? He loves to attack our identity, but it's a complete lie because if you have accepted Christ as your savior, your past sins, your past failings, who you are at 16, 25, 30, that is not who you are anymore. Instead, you are washed. You are made new. You are made whole in Christ and thank God for it. After that, we have the helmet of salvation. Now, this is wonderful because in in Paul's passage, he says, take the helmet of salvation. It's the only aspect of the armor that we have to take, and that is because salvation is a gift. It is not something that can be earned. And what's interesting is when we think of when we get to stand before the throne of God, we're given crowns of righteousness, but on this earth, we're given a helmet because on this earth is a battle. And we have to be raising our kiddos to be wise in it. So a crown doesn't suit us right now. That's only afterward when we have proven ourselves faithful. And lastly, we have the sword of the spirit. Sharper than any two double-edged sword cuts to the marrow of the man. It's our only defensive weapon. And it's given last for a reason. See, in ancient Rome, if you were training to be a soldier, you were given a wooden sword to begin with until you proved yourself competent with it. And I can say they still do this practice today. So I'm prior Air Force. I went through basic training. And all through basic training, we are learning military strategy and how to handle ourselves. And in Warrior Week, where we got to play deployment, we were given M16s, but they were rubber M16s. Same weight and size because we weren't trained on how to use them and they didn't want us shooting our flight mate on accident. It wasn't until we actually passed through all of the training that instead we got to use real weapons and we were presented with a coin and at that moment we were able to call ourselves airmen, not trainee. Same with Roman soldiers. They weren't called a soldier until they had proven themselves competent both in training and instruction and they were given a real sword because they knew that that soldier was trained on when and how to use it effectively. Because the mark of a soldier isn't the damage that he does with the the sword, it's when he knows how to use it or not. Anyone can fling a sword around, but they're a tyrant if they do. A soldier knows when to use it and when not to. 
And so for us as parents to bring up these children in the faith, to be Christian leaders, we not only need to take back our role as parents to understand that family, motherhood, fatherhood is purposeful, not only in training this next generation, but it also actively reflects the image of God. In fact, so often when people have walked away from the faith or have a misunderstanding of God, sometimes that can even be tied to perhaps a past broken relationship that they've seen. Because if we've had a broken parental relationship, it can be hard sometimes for people to be able to have a good relationship with Christ as well. And so this armor of God is integral. And what's wonderful is it's used, it's commanded, and it's talked about right after a command for parenting. And that's because moms and dads bring different things to the table to nurture their children. So I love going on the internet and typing funny dad videos because you'll always come up with hilarious images of what dads do when left alone with children. And it's great if you've ever looked any of these, these up. If you look for mom videos, mom with baby videos, what you'll notice is that it's usually cuddly pictures with mom or maybe she's made this elaborate display that the baby's next to and it looks like he's traveling through space. But if you Google dad with baby videos, you will catch babies who have mustaches drawn upon their face, fake muscles on their little bodies. Uh, there's a video of a, or a picture of a baby sitting in a boppy that's being pulled by a remote control car and I guarantee you it's not mom around the controllers. Dads have different ways of relating with their children, and I think it's God designed for that, for this exact reason, because God's will actually, or excuse me, dads will actually nurture their children in different ways. So for dads, they are great with rough and tumble play. So oftentimes when it's wrestling in the home, it's dads that's initiating the wrestling. So my oldest kids are, I've got uh, three boys, we've got a little girl on the way, but 15, 13, and 11, there is a huge surge of testosterone in my house. It is the weirdest phenomenon. My oldest and my husband will just look at each other and all of a sudden there will be a throwdown in the middle of the living room. I don't know what was exchanged between them, but that is how they engage. And this is actually a great method of training for these kids because what kids learn when wrestling with dad is boundaries. They know when to play, when to rough and tumble, and when to be gentle. Oftentimes it's the dad say, yes, we'll wrestle, but we need to be gentle with mom. And what studies have shown is that boys who lack a father figure, they actually grow up and have heightened rates of aggression. In fact, so much attacks have been labeled on masculinity. It's often termed toxic masculinity. But what we found, uh, what studies have found is that when there are outbeat, uh, outbursts of violence within a community, it's usually due to a lack of a father figure, not the presence of one. And that is because children with dad learn boundaries. They learn how to be careful, how to play gently. They also learn aspects of discipline. So discipline with dad is different than discipline with mom. Dads are what Katie Faust calls world focus. So dads reflect the world. And what is the world? The world is kind of rough and tumble. It is black and white at times. If the kid steps out, dad focuses on consequences. Nope, you messed up. You didn't come back by 10 o'clock. Guess what? You're grounded. Oh, we've got recycling to take out? Well, moms typically will be like, okay, baby, I see that you're busy with this activity right now, but you know we need the trash taken out. Uh, can you please put down your pencil and go take out the trash? How do dads relay this information? Hey, boy, trash, now. They're direct. <laughs> you're laughing because some of you, that's exactly what you say. 
Dads are direct and to the point. And this is essential for childhood development because then children know that way of saying, I do have to react, I do have to obey, I have to respect authority within society. Dads help children understand and navigate the world. They also help with cognitive development. So what studies have found is when moms and dads, they read stories, but they read it differently. So when moms read a story to their children, very often what we moms do is we say, how many flowers are in the picture? Do you see the pigs? What color is his hat? Whereas dads say, man, where did that pig get all that straw? And what they found is that for children, that helps them sort of reflect on these greater issues. Oh, what's going on in the picture? And it actually helps their cognitive development. They also learn self-confidence with dad. If you go to uh, any sort of playground and you see a kid at the top of the slide and somebody down the slide is yelling, jump, jump, is it mom or is it dad? It's dad. Kids learn self-confidence with dad. They also learn boundaries as well, and they learn respect for authority. It's absolutely wonderful and incredible what these kids do. And these all directly reflect the nature of God. God loves us. He is there for us. He is encouraging us. But he is also completely holy and completely just. And there is obedience that we have to have with God. There is not this scapegoat, this easy running away with him. And that is what's reflected within dad. And it's beautiful and wonderful. So often when there is a broken father relationship, though, there can be a misconception of what a good father is. In fact, I've encountered so many people who maybe dad wasn't present or it was a violent uh, atmosphere at home, and they have trouble understanding God as a father, a truly loving father. But within our homes, regardless of our family situations, what we can point back to is God's original design and his faithfulness. So often the Old Testament gets vilified as saying, oh, look at how wrathful God is. But actually when you look at the Old Testament, no, no, he is just. If you're going to mess up, if you're going to pull away, God is going to let us see what life is like apart from him. But guess what? When we actually realize our failings and when we cry out to God, he comes running after us and he is right there defending us. And what better testimony is that than that modeled within our earthly fathers that we have it's wonderful and it's beautiful, but it's so often attacked in culture. And that is why we as parents, to raise these godly leaders, we not only need to be elevating fathers because they're often vilified within culture and sitcoms, they're belittled as dumb and stupid and irrelevant, but no, fathers are integral to the spiritual and cognitive health of their children. In fact, what studies have found is a 1994 Swedish study we had to talk about this with uh, one of the gentlemen here at church. I had to look it up. It was a 1994 Swedish study. And what they found is when dads are present in church, then their children, seven, over 75% of their children will go on to be churchgoers, either full-time or part-time. It's the presence of dad that nurtures the children's commitment to church. And it's absolutely wonderful. But then there's also mom. Mom is wonderful. In fact, Paul uh, commend, uh, commends Titus on the faith of his grandmother and his mother and how that same faith of his mother is nurtured within, their, uh, within Timothy and how beautiful that is. And mothers nurture their children differently. So mothers are more on a nurturing side. So as Katie Faust describes that fathers reflect the world, mothers reflect the home. And what is the home? The home is a safe place. It is a comfort. It is where we go to feel safe, to be well-fed, to have laundry done. 
Mothers also nurture the emotional awareness within their children. So when a child is messing with each other, very often the mom, it's the mom that gets down and say, how do you think that one feels when you club him over the head with a wooden train track? I had that exact conversation with my kids. They nurture the emotional awareness of the children. They will often empathize with the children as well. Oh my gosh, you fell down. Oh, I'm so sorry. That must hurt so bad. Whereas dad's over there going, sweet bruise, kid. Awesome. High five. Mom helps nurture the emotional health of the children. Moms also nurture in spite of facts. So while dads are often more direct, hey, yeah, that's a consequence. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Mom will be, baby, yeah, I know. You made a mistake. But you know what? I love you, and I'm here for you. And what's wonderful about moms is they give hope for the future. So look at how wonderful that is. Dads, yes, they can often be the one enforcing rules. In fact, as a kid, I'm sure some of you have the same experience. There is no more terrifying phrase that a kid can hear is wait till your father gets home. Because yes, mom was intimidating, but dad, you didn't want dad to come home and know exactly what you did. But moms, in spite of that, often have that comfort, that nurturing, and that hope for the future. And we see that constantly mirrored throughout scripture. Yes, we have the realities of sin. We have God's beautiful design within creation, the brokenness of sin corrupting every aspect of creation. But then we also have hope within Jesus who sacrificed himself for us in spite of our sin, in the midst of our sin. He loved us enough to sacrifice his, himself for us on the cross. And he gives, we have hope for the future. We are not intimidated by what's going on in culture because we know this culture, the battle of this culture has already been won in Christ Jesus. And it's beautiful how mothers and fathers can mirror that to their children. And there is also comfort giving within, uh, within the family by moms. And we see this comfort and this wisdom. In fact, wisdom within Proverbs is, is given the female word, uh, embellishment for that word is in the feminine context. Female or wisdom is considered feminine. And it's wonderful because so often moms are the ones giving the details. Dads are giving the direction. And that's what's beautiful about church. While dad's presence and commitment to church will help children be committed to church, children often go to mom for the details. And this isn't just uh, a, a general statement. This was done by a study by Barna. Barna is fantastic for how they uh, do their research. And what they found is that when it came to core concepts of faith and what's going on in culture, children go to parents differently. So when it comes to questions about the Bible, if something is going wrong in their lives, if they have a challenge to the faith, children are going to moms for that information. They go to dad for politics, and I don't know about you, I'm super good with that. Dad can have that one. But what's amazing is how when the two are put together, while when it comes to the armor of God, dads will help provide the direction. They'll challenge the kids. They will practice with the kids. Think of that wrestling. It actually helps the kids channel their exertion, knowing when to push, when to pull, and when to be respectful. Whereas moms, we get to come in and give the details. We give the facts. We help build up their children's uh, theological knowledge. So that way, when they go out into the world, they have this balanced approach of not only how to don the armor, but also how to use it effectively within culture. And that is such a beautiful representation of God's love for us as parents and why it's so important for us as parents to train up this next generation in love and respect within the Lord. Now, I know this might seem intimidating, especially given how often and busy we are as parents, but what I want to encourage you, for one, 
Don't believe everything that you see in the news. So the news is built upon getting views, and they will often put the most negative and most salacious information to get views and watches. But as someone who is able, I've been so blessed to be able to travel to different cities and see God working. And where you think maybe culture is caving in and taking over, what I can tell you is there's also amazing revival that's going on all across this nation. And the biggest revival is happening among parents and grandparents. So that's one thing that's been amazing is our ministry is geared toward mama bears, but we also have a wonderful uh, presence of papa bears. But what has really been awe-inspiring is the revival of grandmama and grandpapa bears. And that's because so many grandparents now are the primary caretakers of their grandchildren, or they are now the spiritual matriarchs and patriarchs within the family. And it's been amazing to see God work on these grandmas and grandpapas and moms and dads. We just got to start talking. And that's another myth that Satan likes to play. He likes to tell us that our kids are not listening. He likes to tell us that, nope, they've got their earbuds in, their eyes are rolling, they are not paying attention. But I can tell you 100% this is completely false. So study after study has evaluated teens from ages 12 to 22 in all sorts of realms, one of which is sexuality. Uh, Others are regarding questions about the faith. And what they've found is that Gen Z, they are overwhelmingly wanting to know these answers. They want to be able to ask questions, but so often they don't think that parents uh, want to hear from it, so they don't ask them. In fact, when parents were asked, hey, are you talking to your kids about these subjects? Overwhelmingly, parents said no, and I don't even think they'd want me to if I tried. But these same studies polled kids, and they found that kids with all sorts of realms overwhelmingly said mom and dad are the leading influence in my life, not only spiritually, but with uh, all sorts of cultural issues, especially regarding sexuality. So it's so important for us to be bold and to start talking. And what's wonderful is there are amazing resources out there today that didn't exist 10 to 15 years ago. So you can meet your kids and help launch truly rooted, deeply rooted faith. Because that's what we're commanded to do as parents. We are called to bringing up, bring our children up in training and instruction. Teach my precepts, as Proverbs 22.6 says. Teach my precepts unto your children. Because that will be their legacy. That will point them to truth. It will not guarantee that they will come to faith. Again, every single individual has free will. And our children are going to come to a point where they can either accept or reject the evidence of God. Our role as parents is not to be the Holy Spirit, but instead to direct them to God, to see them to recognize truth, to help them wield the armor of God so they can effectively communicate the gospel message to their friends, but also understand why they believe what they believe. Because kids are going to get challenged. So I encourage you, parents, take back your God-given role. We have Mother's Day coming up. We have Father's Day coming up. And the world loves to distract us and make us think that our role as parents, to be a good parent, we got to make sure we got all the food, all the sports provided for, all the activities. we got to have a certain amount of paycheck. That's our role as parents. That's how we provide for the family. But no, that's just something we do in the midst of our greatest commission. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations. And the greatest mission field right now is our children within our own home. So dads, we need you. Be present within the church. Show your kids what life is like. Wrestle, play, teach them boundaries. Our children are looking up to you for guidance. 
Moms, nurture your babies, but don't coddle them into weaklings because we're not called to raise wimpy kids in the face. We're called to raise warriors. Instead, ask them questions. Get to know their heart behind the matter, but give them practical applications that they can use with their friends so that they are not wooed by the heartfelt stories, but instead can empathize with the hurt while still pointing back to truth. Moms, we need you. Dads, we need you. So I encourage you today to be able to stand firm in the faith, dive back into scripture, and take those 3,000 hours a year and point your children, use as many of those as possible, to point your children back to the beauty and to the preciousness of Christ our Savior. Thank you so much.